roses turn to scat It's better because of you and that's a fact We're in this together, you and I We're in this together, you and I Yeah, TD Garden and Jake had tickets in the fourth row Oh my gosh, you guys you guys were super close. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it was unreal. I can't. I it, bet. Like, there's nothing. I've never been to something that I enjoyed as much as I did with that, which is, that's, is that's awesome. cool because I've never had that. Like, a lot of the times you had stories about when you were a kid and, like, paying to go see concerts. Yep. But all the people that I like are either dead or 75. So... <laughs> <laughs> going to see them in concert. Like I've seen Aerosmith, they still bring a lot of energy to the stage even at their age, Joe Perry and, and right. Steven Tyler. But it's different when it's like a young guy in his prime doing music yep. that he loves for people who are my age and everybody's super into it. I agree with you. That's that is one of the coolest experiences, I think. When you can do that kind of thing. Um yeah, I mean that's I can vividly remember doing that a lot when I was when I was young. So that was right. a lot of fun. And I am not a super fan of Kid Cudi like Jake is, but I do know like his big hits and love them. Sure. So it was accessible for me in a way that just going to see any random rapper or singer would have maybe not been as like energy filled and exciting as that was um right but it it ended up being a very special thing so it was awesome that jake was was able to do that and come out for yeah. that that is cool i'm glad he was able to to come up there visit you and you guys were able to do something like that that was cool i saw four of you guys out in harvard yard so that's kind of cool yeah i had my chess lesson yesterday at two nice nice so i had them come along for it um that's cool and they just hung out in Harvard Yard while I was learning chess. Harvard Yard. Harvard Yard. Pack the can, Harvard Yard. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. Perfect. Anyway, welcome back to You'll Understand When You're Younger, a podcast where I'm Jordan and... I'm Brian. <laughs> and we like searching and scouring on things for the end to the end. Oh, God, I butchered that. I'm going to do it again. Fair enough. Anyway, welcome back to You'll Understand When You're Younger. I'm Jordan. And I'm Brian. And we are a father and son who enjoy scouring the internet for random facts and then sharing them with each other. This week, we're going to talk about the Erie Canal. But before we get to the feature story, Dad, do you have a question of the week? I do. I always have one. Now, is, is it good or not? We'll see. So my question of the week this week is, what is the best prank you have played on anyone? I'm not really a prankster. I know. So that's why I thought this would be an interesting question because you're not a prankster and you either are going to have a really good story that I've never heard or you're going to say, hmm, I'm not sure that I have one, but we'll see. I can tell you a prank that I didn't do that would have gotten me in a lot of trouble but I think that I could have pulled off. All that right. was more of a heist than a prank. But Ooh, now I'm curious. Not really a heist. Anyway, I had an inordinate amount of power in high school 
because I had the keys to the high school. <laughs> yes, the actual keys, not just keys to certain rooms, but you literally could go anywhere in the high school, correct? Correct. And there was always this rumor at my high school, Jefferson High School in Bloomington, Minnesota. Still open, still operating, folks. Um, <laughs> still churning out the grads. There was a rumor that there was a tunnel with a uh, steam pipe that went underneath it that connected it to the middle school across the street. Interesting. And uh, everybody wondered where it was and whether or not it was real. And it was not real. But, <laughs> or if it is, I didn't find it. But sure. I did, did find a tunnel with a oh. steam pipe underneath the school. Interesting. And it was underneath the theater and oh, you, okay. you could take it from underneath the theater all the way over to the gymnasium where we would host all of our like pep rallies and stuff right right and the room where we ha had the av equipment for the pep rallies was the room that the tunnel went to oh okay and the gym was also one of the only places in the school that didn't have cameras inside of it. Okay. So there were, you could plausibly, if you were me, on the morning of a pep rally, go into the gymnasium, set up the AV equipment. That was my job. That was why I had the keys to the school. Right. Go through the tunnel into the theater. And then in the men's dressing room of the theater was a closet that was always making a lot of noise. And it was locked, sure. and I didn't have the key to that one. But it was one of those doors with locks that you could open if you had a credit card by jamming it in and shoving open the door. Oh, sure. And inside of that door was the Ethernet uh, switchboard for the entire school. Oh, wow. Okay. And so you could make your way there from the gymnasium completely off camera, and then while people are having a pep rally, unplug all of the Ethernet cables <laughs> and go back, and nobody would ever know that it was you. Yeah, and they would be wondering what in the world happened with their old network. Exactly, and it would oh. take them forever to fix it. I, yes, they would have to you know, bring out uh, some of the testing equipment and figure out where... The line was that so would that would have been basically they would have to shut down the school so you'd get oh, a day off sure. like a senior skip day for sure but i never did it of course because that would be illegal i'm pretty sure but you would yeah, even if it yeah, wasn't it, illegal it would have been morally reprehensible so i didn't it do would it. have been it but it would have been something that ferris bueller would have done and i could have done it was the point yes. i had the yes. power to do that and i didn't do it because i'm not a prankster well, but uh, in, in this case, that's good. A senior prank that did happen at our school was somebody <laughs> dropped a turtle into the into the, like the place where everybody would gather during passing time. I don't oh, yeah. know who it was, but some kid who wasn't paying attention stepped on the turtle and killed it. Oh, no. It was so sad. That would be horrible. Yeah. Wow. I feel bad for that turtle. So that's my story of a prank that I could have committed. That could have been, it was more like, again, more like a heist. It's more about doing it and not getting in trouble for it. But well, anyway, that's okay. 
Do you have a, a prank that you committed, Dad? I do. Uh, so unlike you, I used to do a lot of different pranks and a lot of goofball things. Uh, even, you know, not, not even so many years ago, I still was doing them. But um, the best prank that I ever committed was back when I was in my college years. I was living with my friend Jimmy and at the time my friend Scott. And Scott was dating, we were, I think, we were we our second year in college, so we would have been sophomores. In college, he was dating a senior in high school, which was kind of just kind of creepy and odd, uh, but whatever he is was. Is that integral to the story? It is very integral to the story. And so he, so he was dating this senior in high school, and this was going on for the full year that we were living together. And she would be over literally every night. And the last thing you want when you have roommates is for someone to bring their significant other over every single night. I mean, you're not dating this person, but it sure feels like you are because they're just always there. They never go home. Sometimes they stay until 2, 3 in the morning, then he drives her home. Got super old. Got old for me, got old for Jimmy. And it was just getting super frustrating. And so I had talked to him about it, and he just kind of blew me off. And that's you know kind of typical of, of when you're that age, you don't really want to listen to somebody tell you that your girlfriend's around too much, right? But I was just getting sick of it. And you know me, I don't really hold back a lot of stuff, especially at that age. I was going to not hold back anything. And I told him where I stood on it. He didn't like it. And I said, that's tough bounce. We'll figure something out. And I was out with my friend Troy one night. We were out and about doing stuff. And we ended up at the grocery store for some reason. And I was walking down the aisle and looked up and I saw a... Um, one of those vanished drop-ins, and I don't know if you know what one of those are, but a vanished drop-in is a little puck-style thing that you can drop into the tank of a toilet. And when you do that, it not only changes the color of the, the toilet water, green, blue, orange, whatever you pick, but it also is supposed to freshen up the toilet, that kind of stuff. So I got a, an idea in my head, and I said, Troy, you know what? We're going to head back to our apartment. I know that Scott and his girlfriend are out right now. So we're going to head back to our apartment. We're going to take uh, care of something. And then I am staying at your house tonight, Troy. At the time, Troy owned a house in Northeast Minneapolis, okay? And so Scott and I were living right, right by uh, the University of Minnesota, kind of in the hood. And we get back, and Troy's like, what are you going to do? I said, well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to smash up this Vanish drop-in. I'm going to unscrew the shower uh, head and I'm gonna put the drop in inside the shower head. That way, when Scott turns the water on, it will start running and it will be green and it will stain him green. The reason why knowing that this is his girlfriend and her age is important to the story is that the next day was senior prom, so he was taking her to senior prom. So I was like, this is the perfect timing. He's going to. Go ahead and take the shower. He's going to be green, and he's going to be stuck taking this young lady to prom while his hands and feet are green. Now, most people, when they get into the shower, and don't ask me how I know this for Scott, but for most people, when they get in the shower, especially at the time when it was a tub-style shower, you would turn the water on, let it heat up to the, the whatever temperature you want, and then you would get in. I don't know how I knew this, but Scott wasn't one of those folks. He is one of those folks who would get in and turn the water on while he was standing in the stream of the shower. And so I knew that there was no chance he was going to catch 
the fact that this water was green before he started getting wet. And so because I was living with Jim and Scott, I had went over to Jimmy and said, hey, I'm not going to be here tonight. And tomorrow afternoon, if you're around, you don't know where I'm at. And he's like, okay. And so I went ahead, put that stuff in there and left for the day. And the next day, about 8 a.m., 9 a.m., Scott was screaming, what the hell? And, you know, he was pissed off. And he came pounding on Jimmy's door because Jimmy and I shared a room. And he's like, what the fuck? Where's BJ at? And, I, and he's like, I don't know where he's at. And <laughs> Jimmy's like, huh, Scott, you having a little problem there? And he was covered in, in green uh, water that uh, was on him. And he ended up having to take his senior girlfriend to prom with his green skin. So in my mind, that was the best prank that I ever pulled. Where do you stand on vigilante justice? I'm not sure that that was vigilante. I don't like your, your characterization of it being vigilante justice. However, in this case, it was well justified. I won't go into the details of why, but in this case, it absolutely was. So you're pro-vigilante justice or anti-vigilante justice? When when I am performing the vigilante justice, then it's I'm very, okay. very pro-vigilante justice. Otherwise, eh, Not so much? Know. Yeah, I could be neutral on it. Take it or leave it? What if they're uh, dressed up in a large bat suit? <laughs> then I'm very pro. Okay. Got it. Well, I can't pretend I haven't heard that story a dozen times before. I, I knew, yeah. <laughs> but for mom, who's also heard that a dozen times before. Yes. And Ted and yes. Phyllis, who probably heard it a handful of times. No, I don't know if Scott and Phil, uh, excuse me, uh, Ted and Phyllis have heard that story. We'll see. We'll find out when they hear this uh, this episode. Yes, we will. Um, but that was a good question, Dad. I yeah. am trying to think if anybody's ever made me that mad that I would want to even conceive of a plan like that. And I don't think I have ever encountered that. So I guess I consider myself lucky. <laughs> or just more level-headed, especially at the age that you are now compared to me. All right. Well, let's get into that feature story. Okay, so on to our feature story, the Erie Canal. All right, sounds kind of eerie to me. But um, so <laughs> I was on a work trip two weeks ago to Rochester, New York. Okay. Which is a like nifty little city. I feel like all of the what do they call it up there? Not the Rust Belt. Is it the Rust Belt? Yeah, the not New York, kind of, but yeah, I mean, it, like uh, Michigan and Ohio. They they call that part of New York upstate New York. Right, right. I understand that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about it, uh, Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Is that the Rust yeah, Belt? Yeah. And then the yeah. one in the south is the Bible Belt? Yes, that's correct. Okay. that's the, the, I was just trying to figure out the naming conventions. Oh, sure. Uh, I feel like... Upstate New York espouses a very similar vibe to the Rust Belt cities like Cleveland and um, Detroit and to some extent Milwaukee. Sure. And certainly Buffalo and and Rochester, I think, are have similar vibes, but Buffalo is maybe a little bit more vibrant in Syracuse. 
But I was going out there, and I was not... I didn't have to do all the driving myself, so I got to look out the window for most of the trip, and I saw at one point that we were right next to the Erie Canal. Oh, sure. And I was riding with my boss, who's from Massachusetts and has been traveling around the region for his whole life, so he thought very little of it, but I was like, no way, that's the Erie Canal. And he was like, yeah, <laughs> like, what about it? And I was like, no, you don't get it. That's like the the Erie Canal. He goes, yeah, that's the Erie Canal. He's like, we're in like, a, we're in Europe, or not in Europe, but like, you know how you feel when you go to Europe? You're like, everything's different. This is a different yeah. world. Like, I've gotten Absolutely. gotten that a lot since I moved out here. But that was, like, something that you read in the history books, or at least for me, it was, like, a big deal. So I guess that's my first question. When you were a kid in, like, sixth and seventh grade and eighth grade American history, was the Erie Canal, like, almost, like pushed as heavily as the interstate highway system to you guys or is that just my specific teachers no when i was growing up it was a big deal it definitely was one of those things that they made sure that we knew the history of it they made sure that they knew that you know what it did that it connected the seaway so that people could get you know from you know move goods from one spot in the country to another spot in the country it was definitely uh, akin to the highway system. The the other thing, I mean, just to tell you, Jordan, I don't know if you guys had to do this as well, but we had to learn a, a song about the Erie Canal. No. Can you sing it? <laughs> no. I will not sing it, but I will give you a couple but of But you lyrics. could, couldn't you? You could will, sing it, but you won't will, sing it. I will be happy to give you the first, um, <laughs> the first uh, verse of the lyrics. All right. Uh, it's, I've got an old mule and her name is Sal. 15 years on the Erie Canal. She's a, go. good old, she's a good old worker and a good old pal. 15 years on the Erie Canal. We've hauled some barges in our day, filled with lumber, coal, and hay. And every inch of the way we know from Albany to Buffalo. And that is how we knew where the Erie Canal went. We knew that it went from Albany to Buffalo. And it, it, that's what we knew about it. We knew that there was a mule in, in our heads, the way the paint, the picture that they painted, and I don't know if this was real or not, this is what they painted, was that you had this guy who was on a boat and he had a mule that was on the shoreline and the mule would pull the boat across and down the Erie Canal. And that's how they went along. You know, there weren't steamboats, there weren't this, that, they, that right. the barges they were using, they were actually using mules to pull the, um, the goods in, up and down the Erie Canal. So, that was the song. Now, there's there's plenty more uh, verses that we will not be going into, but I thought that I would give you part of the chorus as well. Uh, the chorus goes, Low Bridge, everybody down. Low Bridge, we're coming to a town. And you'll always know your neighbor. You'll always know your pal if you've ever navigated on the Erie Canal. That's sweet. That's great. Yeah. Uh, our classroom song was just like, the presidents and we would add a president each day until we knew all of them and oh, also nice. can, can you would, sing that i don't remember the melody of that all right, well, uh but we also had one for like because it was a lutheran school the bible songs sure. that one yeah. i think i do remember but it's not really applicable to the topic <laughs> no it's not uh so we're gonna skip it for this one uh <laughs> but yeah so i'm glad to hear because 
my boss was just completely befuddled at why I would think it was a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. And I then I went and like straw polled all my friends and like guys, like I saw the Erie Canal today. Like, is that would that be is that like a big deal to you? Like for me, this is like going to see the Taj Mahal <laughs> because why the hell else would somebody go to upstate New York? I guess is the point. Uh, uh, there's, there's a few things up there. The, the Finger Lakes region is supposed to be gorgeous. We didn't get a chance to see it when we were there, but that's supposed to be really, really beautiful. But basically I would say the Erie Canal is the reason that upstate's on the map at all. Because oh, yes, definitely. It, when you look at the, map of the Erie Canal, which does stretch from Albany to Buffalo, as you once sang. Yes. All of the cities, Syracuse, Rochester, um, Utica, they're like all either offshoots that they built separate canals to or were in line with the main canal. And those ended up becoming big manufacturing cities for the simple fact that you could get to them from the East Coast because the river that the Erie Canal connects to, so on one side it connects to the Great Lakes and on the other side it connects to the Hudson River in Albany, yes. which uh, New York fans will know goes down from Albany to New York City. So there's the Hudson River on one side of Manhattan and the East River on the other side. Um, yes. And... So all of the cities that were along that were places where people riding mules, pulling barges of lumber or iron ore or manufactured goods would sleep. And then that created a lot of opportunities for merchants and a lot of opportunities for factories. And upstate New York became its own kind of industrialized region before we kind of quote unquote conquered the West. But the Erie Canal also is probably the reason that cities like Duluth and Milwaukee and Chicago are as significant to American history as they've become uh, because the Great Lakes as a, as a region for commerce were only really valuable if you could connect it to the more denser parts of the country vis-a-vis -vis Boston, New York, uh, Charleston, all of the the cities on the coast up and down. Right, right. Otherwise, the commerce was going to kind of get stuck and you could only use potentially, well, at that time, when the Erie Canal was built, like rail wasn't even a huge deal. So I, don't, I actually don't believe railroad existed. So the Erie Canal was first proposed in 1797 in a letter to George Washington. And um, what did he say? I, I don't think they have his response on record. They just have the letter of the person saying, hey, you should build this. But it was like the letter that I read was part of a continued conversation. So obviously Washington had corresponded with the person. But sure. the letters that you send as a president aren't the ones that make it into the presidential libraries and archives. It's the letters that you not. receive, you know? Right. Um, but it did it, then it, it, he wanted it to be a federally funded project, which was a, just a ginormous ask in 1797 yeah, because sure. the sentiment of the states uh, pre-Civil War was 
like heavy loyalty towards your individual state and you viewed the United States more as a confederation of states, even though we had ratified the Constitution. Sure. Like people would say, I'm a proud South Carolinan instead of saying, I'm a proud American. Uh, and then Lincoln's conception of the Union and how the Union must be saved and how that is the more important part, and then the fact that that was the prevailing idea which won the war, uh, really transformed America into a unified country in the same way right. that other wars have, the Spanish-American War, World War One, World War Two have all bolstered American nationalism. Um, but before that, when our conflicts were mostly internal uh, after the American Revolution, the, the states had no interest in federally funding any project whatsoever. They had run right. away from a formalized government, a centralized government. They didn't want that. So uh, instead, the governor... Uh, I believe his name was Clinton DeWitt. Okay. Uh, or DeWitt Clinton, I guess. He was the governor of New York, and he was the one who lobbied the New York State Legislature um, to to get it done because he knew it would be good for Albany, where he was serving. Uh, and they did pass it in 1817, and at that point, no railroad. So... If you wanted to go west, you had or and and bring commerce west or bring commerce from the west, uh, natural resources and whatnot. You would have to do it by um, cart and horse and mule. And like we've talked about, I think a couple times before, like the ROI on a mule is not good. Like <laughs> that is correct. They don't gain. Like, if you keep a car long enough, I don't know if you've ever taken a look at, uh, I'm sure you have, but the listener, mom, I don't know if you've ever taken a look at the uh, devaluation of a car. Like, everybody knows you lose 25% after the lot. Right. But then it's a steep declining curve, and then it shallows out, levels out, it hits its bottom, and then oftentimes, most of the time, there's an uptick in a car's value if it, it lasts for a certain amount of time. So if your car is still right. kicking 40 years, it doesn't really matter if it's a Grand Wagoneer. Eventually, someone is going to find it cool vis-a-vis -vis me. There you um, go. So a mule isn't that way, but ships are, you know, uh, or at least they take less wear and tear and can last a lot longer, and their value never goes to zero because there's a material you can salvage from them, whereas a mule, you cannot. And they're also less efficient. They require uh, being fed. Um, and they can only carry so much on their back. But if you use that same mule to pull a cart or get some kind of steam engine, um, then you're in the money, I guess, was kind of the idea. Sure. So they started it in 1817. And... It got off to a bad start. Uh, in the first two years, they built uh, between 15 and 30 miles. The length of the Erie Canal is 363 okay. miles. So at the rate that they were doing it, it was going to take about 30 years to construct <laughs> 
which meant, which meant they were screwed because they they were going to be under well underwater in their investment by that point. Um, and they ended up pouring more money in to get it faster, people working harder, um, and and clearing out more land. Uh, but it wasn't as simple as just digging ditches, and that's the interesting part about all canals. So do you sure. know the, the definition of a canal, Dad? Um, you can I probably guess that, at it, yeah. I assume that a canal obviously must be dug into the ground, and it has to have locks and or gates as part of it, which allows folks to uh, get the traffic up and down the canal, if you will. So, um, no. Uh, you're, okay. It, it, it does not have a requirement that there is a lock and dam system. Okay. Often you'll see that. But a canal is just an artificial waterway uh, oh, for the okay. passage of boats or ships inland or conveying sure. water for irrigation. Gotcha. So Arizona has a canal that you yes. like to run along. Yes, the Erie Canal is what I would say is America's most famous canal, um, but there Absolutely. are many famous canals in Europe that I don't know the name of, but that's just because I'm an un uncultured American. Well, And there's one very famous one in Latin America. Yes, the Panama Canal, which we also uh, claim as American because we used to own it, although we gave it back. We did. Uh, so... This canal, though, does have locks and dams, uh, and that's what made it difficult because you can't just carve uh, the Great Lakes to the Hudson River as nice as that sounds. The earth is not flat. Uh, if we've covered that in the past as well. Yes, but <laughs> also, so yes, the earth is not flat on a macro scale, but the earth is definitely not flat on a micro scale. Um if you've ever walked up a hill, you would know that. Yes. And even when you don't perceive it, you're oftentimes changing elevations. Like you don't have to go up a mountain for things to be moving up and down. But if it's a slight grade, you are unlikely to perceive it. The Hudson River in Albany is, uh, I believe, a little over 300 maybe even more. Let me look. It's 550 feet below the elevation of Lake Erie. Okay. Which meant that if you just carved out the land to connect Lake Erie to the Hudson River, you would basically just drain Lake Erie because sure. gravity would cause the water to flow very quickly towards Albany. And that is why most rivers that we do boat traffic on do end up with a lock and dam system. For example, the Mississippi, which is man-made, has something like 36 locks and dams. Um, and they put those in not to regulate the amount of water, but to make it easier for ships to pass through. I guess it it is also meant to regulate flooding. Any dam is. But... Um, it was more important for them to have an easier way for boats to travel northward up the river and fight the current um, when the elevation change became steep. But on the southern half of the Mississippi River, there are hardly any locks or dams at all. Did you know that? I did not know that. So I had a 
I guess wasn't a close friend, but an acquaintance in high school, you may remember, who uh, kayaked down the entire Mississippi River with another classmate. And they did it in under 90 days, which was very impressive. Yes, Um, it is. And they would post video updates, but they post them a lot more frequently at the beginning of the trip because they would be stuck waiting for the lock for them to open so that they could travel down the river. And then once they made it to a certain point, I think some it's somewhere around St. Louis, that there's no more locks or dams on the Missouri River. Yeah, the, the Mississippi is... Uh, Mississippi, busy. sorry, Missouri, not yeah, Missouri. that's okay. The Mississippi is very busy in that area, and I'm sure that that's the spot where they said, okay, after this, uh, we don't really need them so much. Yeah, and so uh, I think it may also have to do with the elevation profile from going from the north to the the plain the southern sure. plains um but sure. I, I don't know i haven't studied that exactly but the the grade on the mississippi is a little bit different than the grade on the erie canal because it is a natural waterway that formed itself and kind of self-regulated uh and i don't think it is quite as intense as the 600 foot drop uh, or if it is the time at the time when they put the locks and dams in, they didn't feel like they needed to correct much. Sure. Because the Erie Canal actually has more locks and dams than the Mississippi River does, which is funny to think about. It is because it's obviously not. It's much as shorter. Long. Yeah, the yeah. the Mississippi River is two thousand four hundred thirty miles, I believe, and I think, as I said, the Erie Canal is three hundred sixty three. And there are 57 locks and dams on the Erie Canal versus 30-something for the Mississippi River. And that made it possible to connect the lake with the river without them having any kind of issue. Do you know, uh, like, could you define what a lock and dam system is, and do you know who invented it? Uh, lock and dam system. Can I define it? So the lock and dam system, I can kind of explain a little can bit you how it t- works. T- tell me what a dam is versus a lock. Do you know the difference? So a dam is, uh, it controls the flow of water and a lock controls the, uh, I'll, I'll say, uh, the height of the water, or the depth of the water. Okay. So I just learned this today. But a dam is the part that holds the water back. and So it controls the flow of the water. Yes, as you said. And the lock is a mechanism they put on the side for boat travel. So you, Sure. So it does control the level, like you said. It lowers a person down. Um, but the dam obviously never opens unless it bursts. And the lock <laughs> opens and closes all the time, hence it being called right. a lock. Yes. The second part of my question, do you know who invented them? Because I I did know this one from a book that I had read, if that's a hint I, to you. I don't know who invented it because that would have been a, a ways back. So, no, I don't, I don't know. Leonardo da Vinci invented oh, wow. the lock. Um, not the dam, but the lock. And so he... Wow. Um, he invited invented the miter lock, which is... Uh, the type of lock that is used everywhere today 
uh, versus like a, a flat wall that the water runs up against, he innovated them and had them at about a 45 degree angle, hence it being called a miter lock because you use a miter sure. saw to cut angles into wood. Yes. And Leonardo da Vinci had miter saws on the mind at the time, clearly. Um, Obvi- yeah, obviously. So the whole point of a miter lock, which, like I said, is the most common type of lock, is to divert the pressure and prevent failure of locks and dams. Because uh, when the water flows, it it is broken in half by the sharp uh, triangle pushing outward. And sure. then that creates a current out to the corners, which helps uh, prevent pressure, uh, like a big wall of pressure on the entire lock. And also um, when two things are pressed together at a 45 degree angle, you can do it with your fingers right now. Um, that's a very secure way to keep things shut uh, sure. because you're pushing on yourself and the water is applying that pressure versus when it's flat, uh, two doors, like double doors, French doors to a home aren't exerting any pressure on each other whatsoever. And if the water pushes up against it, they're incentivized to open versus when you do the miter, they're incentivized to push against each other. Jeez, this guy seems like a pretty smart guy. Nifty, nifty idea and went into effect in his lifetime. If I'm recalling correctly, he was hired to oversee a lock and dam project that he I don't think he ended up actually overseeing, but they built it anyway. He also sure. had this crazy idea for multi-level cities where below the main level of the city would be the place where they processed all of the various different forms of water. So like storm water would get drained (laughs) into a certain part of the city and sanitation would get drained to a certain part of the city, but everybody thought he was a nut job. Uh, So that one didn't really get implemented in his lifetime. Funny how it uh, is the standard way that we do everything here. Yeah, so he's a, he's a, he was a crazy guy. Like he really exemplified the ethos of the polymath because he, like I would say most people know him for the Mona Lisa, right? Yes. But like then you think about this guy also invented the modern lock and dam system and had conceptualized sewers. Like they always talk about like, oh, he wanted to make a flying machine and failed. It's like, okay, that's what you're going to pick out of all the things that he did. Not the last supper, not the lock and dams. Uh, okay, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but Walter Isaacson's biography of him, I think Walter Isaacson is a relatively well-known biographer. Yes. Uh, and he did that really famous Steve Jobs one. I think he did one on Albert Einstein. But the one that I liked uh, or chose to read at least was Leonardo da Vinci. And I probably read that again. It's been a while now, a couple of years since I've read it. But yep, good old Leo. So that was invented in the renaissance period the 16th century but still used when they constructed the erie canal uh which was funny because similar to uh what's his name leonardo da vinci the (laughs) people who designed and built the erie canal were not engineers Uh, oh what oh hold on so they had people designing and building a canal, but they were not engineers at all? That Ye- seems insanity to me. 
the United States of America did not have any civil engineers at the time <laughs> the uh, Erie Canal was, was constructed. It was pretty early, so yeah. And as we know, civil engineers aren't real engineers anyway. So it doesn't matter. And clearly the Erie Canal worked out fine, which is evidence that it doesn't matter. Uh, But James Geddes and Benjamin Wright were in charge of being the implementers of DeWitt's, uh, Governor DeWitt's plan. Uh, I guess just maybe by political appointment, maybe... One of them was dating his daughter kind of deal. I can't find much information on them, but that's the deal. Sure. Uh, they were... Uh, actually, now I'm I'm just looking at my notes. They were both judges. Okay. Judges of boundary disputes. And so okay. they weren't the people who actually did the surveying for their boundary disputes, but they were the ones who would make the judgment on them. And then they were appointed, yes, again, politically... Uh, by DeWitt uh, Clinton to build the Erie Canal. So Geddes had only used, this is per Wikipedia, had used surveying tools for no more than a couple hours before he was um, (laughs) sentenced to construct this canal. So, so, hey, okay, Jordan here. I'm going to let you study this for a couple hours here, and then what I would like for you to do is build a device that we can live in on Mars. You got two hours, go. I mean, can you imagine that? That's crazy. Yes, well, thankfully he had eight years. Um, But yes, that would be a high-stress situation. Obviously, he was up for the task, and they actually had convinced... um, Well, they they had convinced him to let them hire an amateur engineer whose name... was Canvas White, which is kind of a fun name for an amateur engineer. <laughs> uh, and DeWitt Clinton actually paid to send him to Britain uh, oh. to study their canal system and come back. Okay, okay. And between the three of them, Geddes Wright and Canvas White, uh, they were able to design, hire, and implement the Erie Canal as we know it I'm today. impressed. That's impressive. Yeah. And so then after it opened in 1825, uh, all of the haters had said, well, this is where we're going to prove that it was an unnecessary government project uh, because it cost $7 million, which I can't even calculate in today's money because the inflation calculator online doesn't have inflation data for 1819, at least the one that I was using. Sure. Um, because we weren't really tracking consumer price index back then. Uh, we did that after World War One is basically when that started. Uh, but $7 million in 1919 to today would be hundreds of millions of dollars. So you can only imagine how much it cost then. It was a massive wow. project. But yeah. it was so popular that the tolls that they charged, because it was a toll canal like a sure. toll road today which makes sense yep. were paid paid off the entire project within the first year of operation oh my goodness wow seven million dollars in the first year 
Yes, so they were roaring to go because, like I said, like there were a lot of natural resources. Like you think about the Edmund Fitzgerald, loaded up with iron ore and sinking. Uh, yes. At least I think about it all the time. I don't think people think about it enough. But um, there, there's all kinds of natural resources that were around the Plains region, uh, the Great Lakes region of the United States, and connecting that to a bustling city that was in need of raw materials, that being New York City, was absolutely a no-brainer. So people who are against large infrastructure projects may find themselves surprised because the National Interstate Highway System also had a lot of haters, and now imagine living without that. It would just be so painful. Yes, it would. Um, and it took about 30 years for it to reach its uh, peak use. So it ended up being very profitable for them overall uh, because if it paid itself off in the first year, um, then it, it must have been making gangbusters kind of money by the time that it peaked in the, in the mid-1800s. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the death of the Erie Canal as a primary transit route would go as, as you would think it would. Like, it was important as long as uh, carrying sea cargo was the, the easiest way to get from Chicago or Milwaukee or Duluth to the Hudson. But after the advent of trains... Um, this is where we started to see Duluth and Milwaukee fall off the map because Chicago was both on the Great Lakes and well-positioned for a transcontinental railroad. Right. And now Chicago is the third largest city in the country, even though neither railroads nor sea cargo are the primary way that consumers get their items anymore. It's mostly by air and by truck. So that's yes. kind of Pla fun. Yeah, planes, trains, and automobiles. Exactly. Um, and so basically now there was no need for the Erie Canal after trains popped up during the industrialization of the, the at the end of the 19th century. And it fell apart, basically derelict. Um, and the, the extensive canals that were dug off from it, like connecting to the Finger Lakes, um, also kind of were neglected. So they put a lot of money into it actually in the late uh, 1900s, the 90s, to restore it and turn it more into a, a well-regulated waterway that you could also have a lot of nature preserve along. Sure. And now there's actually uh, like hiking trails and preserve the entire length of the Erie Canal system. And it takes That's... a person five days to travel it on average. So five days biking or hiking? Uh, biking. Uh, okay. It's 300-something miles, right? So oh, hiking, yeah. that would take a lot a lot longer. A little more than five days. Yeah. Or like if you were just on a, a boat, they say budget yourself five days as well. Sure. And just plan to camp along the way, like if you're going to kayak kind of thing. I mean, that is pretty cool that people are using it for that right now because – I got to imagine that when they put this through, they were trying to get it the shortest way, you know, between two points, right? And I would bet that just having been up in that area, your mom and I spent some time in Albany, and we 
we basically drove the freeway along kind of where the Erie Canal is. We didn't go up into Rochester. We stayed south of that, but uh, went into Syracuse, Utica, and to Buffalo and also Niagara. So I'm sure that along that, that way, from what we saw, just gorgeous trees and kind of rolling hills area. So I got to imagine that if you're hiking or biking or boating along that, it's got to be very pretty. Yeah, I I thought it was a very serene drive, uh, and they actually do the turnpikes out here pretty well. Um, Illinois just has the worst toll roads. I've this yeah. is my realization yes. as I spend more time in the Northeast, where toll roads are pretty common. Yep. It, Illinois sucks. Yes. Uh, <laughs> at least the ones around Chicago, but. Up here and in Ohio and Indiana, like uh, the turnpike is easy, and the one in New York, um, just is you're rolling along at eighty miles per hour. You pull off for gas, but you don't actually have to take like a real exit. You just kind of pull off to the side because they've partnered yep. with national uh, chains like McDonald's and yep. uh, Popeyes and a gas station company. This, for example, in New York, is Gulf. Or maybe that's oh, yeah. the mass turnpike. I can't remember. Uh, either way, it's so smooth. You just pull off. It's not a sharp turn. The entire road is flat. And in New York, you are going basically along an nature preserve and hiking trails along the Erie Canal system the entire way up through Syracuse and Rochester all the way over to Buffalo, which is which is pretty neat. And I would recommend yeah. it as a road trip for anybody. Yeah, we enjoyed we enjoyed that when we took that trip last year. It was it was definitely very beautiful. We made a couple other stops different than than you guys did, but uh, it was yeah. Great. We were all working, no play. I other than the McDonald's, which I was very glad to go to. Uh, <laughs> the Erie Canal was just more of a a drive by and enjoy kind of thing, and uh, maybe I can make a podcast of this. So there you go. It didn't turn out to be the. Um, you know the the air conditioning of its time but it it was a very popular route uh and even though it has has fallen fallen apart and been repaired i'm glad that it's taken on a second life so that's the Absolutely. Erie canal quick so little I one actually, today well i actually have a couple pieces of trivia that maybe all right test me may, yeah so there is a very famous historical uh use that helped that that the Erie Canal helped as a, I'll call it as the last segment of this historical um, event or historical track, if you will, that the Erie Canal really kind of got people into um, into using. Historical track, historical event. Uh, yeah. So like a horse racing event? Nope. Uh, I'm trying to not give it away. Uh, I'm using the word track on purpose, but I don't I'm think so confused. Don't think track like racetrack. Think track like train track. Oh. Um. No, I I don't know. I give up. You'll have to so explain. So it, it was the last leg of the Underground Railroad. Oh, I see. Well, I mean, it depends on where you're coming from but yeah it was that's how they got people from uh, d- uh from the south into the the canadian u.s border so if they needed to go into canada that was that was how it was absolutely used and because of this route 
the the city of Niagara Falls, even though the Erie Canal did not go to Niagara Falls, it went to Buffalo, but Buffalo is only about 45 minutes away. Right. And so what, what ended up happening was that people would set up a shop and sell a bunch of stuff along the route between Buffalo and Niagara Falls. And that's how Niagara Falls became so popular. Obviously it was a beautiful place and you've been there. I've been there. It is a beautiful, beautiful place, but it became super touristy and popular because the Erie Canal existed and people would take it to get from one place to Buffalo and then make that extra trip up to Niagara Falls for a honeymoon or to get married. Right. And it also is the fastest way between Buffalo and, and Toronto. Yes. So there would, there would be some commerce along that way too, that would have been encouraged by the Erie Canal. Exactly. And one of the, uh, there is a, a, a famous, if you will, uh, play called A Trip to Niagara, where the folks in that actually take a trip and travel by canal, and specifically the Erie Canal. And so it was, it definitely had a lot of cultural impact. Not only did it make its money back, but people were excited about it. Like you said, it got to be very popular that people ended up using it. And people actually ended up writing plays about it. I'm excited about it. And the, uh, the haunts of industry still exist in upstate like they do uh, in the Rust Belt as well, where there's a lot of factories that have lost their use cases and communities that have been left behind. And they're kind of more dormant uh, residential cities now. Sure. Um, but to think that, you know, like I believe Polaroid or Kodak uses had a plant in Rochester, their primary plant. Sure. And you have to think in part, in some way, some little way that that ended up there because Rochester was put on the map by the Erie Canal. So large infrastructure has opportunity to breathe life into a, a lot of places. Absolutely. So one last piece of trivia here. This is a list of authors that actually wrote about the canal. So you're going to recognize, I think, every single one of them. Herman Melville. Never heard of him. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yeah, he's all right. Yep. Harriet Beecher Stowe. Interesting. I don't remember her. What, what it, in Uncle Tom's Cabin or something else she wrote? I don't know. It doesn't reference what the, the list that I'm coming from. It doesn't reference what books specifically. Okay. I'll look into it. Uh, sure. Mark Twain. Yeah. Well, what river didn't he write about? Well, <laughs> of course. But think about that. That's that shows you again the cultural impact that this that this canal had. It was like you said, one of those things that was was um, kind of a an eyesore when people were thinking about trying to build it and what it was. They're like, "No, we don't need that. What what's that going to do for us?" And it turned out being you know one of the greatest things that they did at that at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, and one of the most successful infrastructure projects that America has ever implemented. Uh, at least historically, we'll see how things go in the future. Maybe we could get a high-speed rail. Maybe we can get um, rockets that don't go to space but can transport us faster. Like I want a rocket that goes up into the air because it's faster than a jet and then lands, you know, like if it takes off in L.A., it lands in New York like seven minutes later. Never has to actually leave the atmosphere. That would be crazy. So, I mean, there's more to be done, but the Erie Canal was a good roadmap uh, for how to do a project. Pour a bunch of money into it and hire unqualified people. 
<laughs> and you just might get magic. Yes, you may, it, that might just happen. All right. Well, I think that wraps up the uh, feature story, unless you have anything else, Dad. No, I don't. Thank you. All right. Awesome. All right, Dad, what is something that you learned this week? Or is it This Week in Media? So normally it's This Week in Media, but we can start with what we learned this week. No, 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 no. Dad, how about This Week in Media? Awesome. All right. So This Week in Media, I just finished a book called Blackbird, or the actual title of it is called In With the Devil, but they changed the name of it because it is also a TV show on On Apple TV. TV. I've heard yes. about it. Heard yes. about it. So I'm only going to read to you. I'm going to say nothing about it other than who stars in the show and and then the, what's on the back of the book. And that's all I'm going to say because otherwise it will ruin things. Uh, Jimmy Keene, who is the author of this book. So Jimmy Keene grew up outside of Chicago. Although he was the son of a policeman and rubbed shoulders with the city's elite, he ended up on the wrong side of the law and was sentenced to 10 years with no chance of parole. So this is basically an autobiography written by him about his time in jail and his growing up. Uh, So the book itself is very well done. I really like the way that it goes back and forth between himself and other characters and timelines. It can be confusing when when, uh, books do that, but I think that this one handles that very, very well. This story is is a true story, and I don't remember hearing about this at all based on where it was taking place, Chicago-ish area. Um, I don't remember uh, this happening as I was growing up uh, in, in the time frame that this happened, but it was it's a very, very well done story, very well written story, and one that I would encourage people to check out if you're into books. The TV show, your mother and I are watching it. I think we're on uh, episode three of six, and the people who star in this are Taryn Edgerton, who some people might know from, from Kingsmen, uh, Greg Kinnear, who some people would know from lots of different movies and TV. Ray Liotta, it's, this is his last uh, acting gig that he had uh, just pre- previous to him passing away. And uh, he never actually got to see these episodes because he passed away before they were finished. And the person that I thought might draw you into this, if you think you might watch it, Jordan, and I don't know if you're going to recognize the actor's name, but you will recognize the actor. The actor's name is Paul Walter Hauser. Do you recognize his name? I do not. He is also in a show that maybe you might be talking about. I don't know, but he is in Cobra Kai. Ah, he's, he's Stingray. He, he is Stingray. That's who he is. Correct. So he is in the TV show uh, Blackbird. Uh, and so anyways, I would highly encourage people, if you would like to read the book, It's like I said, it's very well written. I would encourage people to check that out. Otherwise, if you... Uh, are more partial to watching it on TV. The TV series is done very well. And like I said, we're about three episodes into it, but it, it definitely draws you in and they take the same approach that they go back and forth in timelines and such. So it, it's it's well done from that perspective. So definitely check that out. Sure. It's been recommended to me, the Apple show, not the book, uh, by one of my friends who is currently in law school. So Nice, nice. I well, I think that that makes sense that they would recommend it. And it yes. also seems like something that you and mom would get into. So there's no surprises here. It is on my list and I will have to check it out. 
Definitely. Especially because Stingray, it, it, it was so funny to see him actually in a different show. Okay, so mine then, we can say, is Cobra Kai, because I just started it, because I was at, <laughs> I, my friends were in town, so yeah. I, uh, I wasn't going to be rude and make them binge watch a show that I don't think they'd seen before, or right. at least not the fifth season of it. Right. And so I haven't soon seen as, it yet. As soon as they left, I came home and started it, and nice. I'm not done with it yet, but they have continued with the the path that they were on and it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds so if you guys want to hear a full review maybe you'll uh, finish it by next week and we can talk about that during our this week in media portion that is my plan great well that works out so just everybody prime yourselves watch season five of cobra kai between now and the next podcast All right, Dad, what's something you learned this week? So I learned a little bit about scotch tape this week and kind of what it really was used for originally and how it's evolved. So the inventor is Richard Drew, and he used to work at a company called Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing, which... That's neat. Yeah, which has changed its name to 3M, 3M. which you've heard of. Yeah. Exactly. So he created the very first masking tape in 1925. And they were using that originally to do two-tone automobile painting. So they would paint off one piece of it and then paint it and then vice versa. So think of it like painter's tape. Makes However, sense. the painters found that the original design of this tape was pretty crappy in that the adhesive was only on the edges, and so it wasn't in the center part of the strip that you would do. So, so you get things to... bubbling up. Yes. And so That's a they... terrible method. It is a terrible method. And so angrily, those folks walked up to Drew and said, take your scotch tape back. And that's how it got the name scotch tape, because at that point in time, the, the term scotch was... Uh, akin to the word cheap so take your cheap tape back take your scotch tape tape so back. this was like racist towards scottish it, people sure that's that's what i would 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 say yes However, so that it's not because the creator of scotch tape's name was rutherford b scotch because that's what somebody told me last time i asked that is not because no, the inventor's name is richard drew just so kidding. drew so drew uh, went back and he worked very hard and he created what's what became cellophane tape, which then had the adhesive across the whole back. And that transparent tape became so popular that at one point in time, it was used to create an anti-corrosive layer on Goodyear blimps. So think about this. Goodyear blimps had cellophane tape or scotch tape on them so that they would not corrode. Which is crazy. Can you imagine how many rolls of scotch tape that would take to, uh, to? Uh, if only the, if only the Hindenburg had followed the same principle. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. They weren't as good as Goodyear, I guess. And then the other thing is, obviously, what what happened is that they decided this would be a great tool to market for other folks, and they started putting it into the consumer market, which now it's, uh, you know, everywhere. It's ubiquitous, and people are using it for projects and wrapping gifts and things like that. So that is the, the very quick history of scotch tape. That's that's neat, Dad. I love that. Yeah, yeah I um, thought you might enjoy that one. 
We'll have to maybe do a full podcast on 3M. Oh, that would be great. I love. I, I would love to do that. I've hired mom as our secretary to go through and write down every time I say that we're going to do something that we end up not doing. So that's, maybe we'll actually get to that one. <laughs> Perfect. What about yourself, Jordan? What's something you learned this week? This week, I learned that the oldest living land animal is a tortoise named Jonathan, who is 190. 190? I thought you were going to say 109. That's kind of the way it sounded like it was going to come out, but 190? Wow. And and Jonathan. So I have a couple questions. Uh, He's born in 1832 in London, I think. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you. London and Maybe not Jonathan. London, but somewhere in England. So, Jonathan, is there a specific reason why his name is Jonathan? Because he's British, and that's okay. a very British name. Sure, but there was no uh, specific, like, duke or, or uh, you know, some uh, uh, royal-type per- person that, was, that he was named after? It was just... Well, hey. if you're asking me, I think he should be the new monarch, but... <laughs> He'll do better than Charles III, I think. Well, I mean, that's up for debate, but if we're putting dinosaurs in office, you know, might as well be a real dinosaur. Fair enough. Fair enough. So 190. That's that's impressive. Yeah, born in 1832. He still lives. I think he lives in Wales and he has sure. a mate uh, oh, wow. who is named Frederica. Okay. And they hang out together almost all the time. It's really cute. It, it's goals. Any, any news on how old Frederica is? Is he, you know, kind of a cradle robber, or is she close to his age? Um, that's a good question, and I did not look into her age. All right, fair enough. But they've been mates for a while, so it's awesome. fine. Good for him. Yeah, he's still kicking. Who knows how long that'll be? But there's uh, there's photos of him from the 1850s or 1860s. That's uh, crazy. Which is is crazy. So they have record of him being born, and then they took a photo of him with when he was in his forties, and now he's one hundred and ninety. Wow! So what would have been really cool? I don't know if you caught this this week. You know, we're recording this the the week that um, Queen Elizabeth passed away, and I saw someone had posted a photo from every year that she was in uh in, in office alive she, as what, the monarch. Yes. And I thought that was really cool to see the 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 progress progression of her aging and, and kind of what was going on. It would have been cool if someone would have had the forethought to start taking photos of Jonathan each year uh, of the 190 years. Of course, that would have taken uh, several people to do that, but it would have been that would have been a kind of a cool uh, project as well. Well, I'm sure they have some for the last several decades, but not the entire thing. Sure, that's awesome. That's cool. 190 years. Yeah, speaking of the uh, the Queen passing, obviously very sad, uh, but yes. makes sense. She lived a full life. I saw a map on that Fan Maps account on Instagram that I'm so yeah. fond of. Yes, that I love that too. Had a classification of countries, whether or not they were a unified country or the same country that they are now, uh, before or after Queen Elizabeth was sovereign so like if if the country's younger than queen elizabeth then wow. it says so and a majority of the countries on the map 
like by far the larger area was countries that were newer than Queen England or Queen Elizabeth II. Sorry. That's that's amazing. That uh, that's that's crazy. Yeah. So like obviously America has been around longer, but Canada has not uh as a unified country or the current what? country that it is, I guess. What? I don't know. Oh, maybe it wasn't Canada. Sorry, I I don't have the map in front of me, and I'm not gonna okay. not gonna dig okay. it up. Sorry. Uh, fair enough. I'm I'm gonna take back anything that I just said. Nobody listen <laughs> to me. Just go to the fan maps account and look for it yourself. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll do that. All right. Great. All right. How about this weekend, Brian? So this week, I am preparing to run a 10K next Saturday. So obviously, I've mentioned a few times that I'm getting uh, ready to run a marathon in January. But as part of that, uh, my running coach has said, hey, you need to run a a 10K so we can try and adjust what your training schedule looks like and what your different paces are. So this coming Saturday, I will be running a 10K. Funny enough, this will be the first 10K I've ever run. I've run a half marathon. And I've run several 5Ks, but I've never run a 10K. So I'm going to be curious to see how this works out uh, to see kind of where all of my numbers fit in. So I'm, I'm excited to, to do that. I think it'll go well. If you are regularly running more than that, it should be easy to scale back. Yep. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, how about this week in Jordan? Do we have any more controversy going on? With the chess world. The chess world is still in flames. FIDE announced that they are launching a formal investigation into allegations of cheating at the highest levels of chess. I'm not sure whether or not they specified Hans Niemann in there, but that's certainly what they meant. Certainly Uh, implied. And chess.com is also preparing an internal review. So... There's this understanding that chess.com already knew that Hans was a cheater because he had to work out some deals with them to allow himself to keep his account. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so that all that that we've known for about a month. I don't know if I mentioned that on the podcast, but no, when he was yet. initially accused of cheating, the question was, why do we specifically believe Hans would be accused of cheating? And it was because it had already come out in the past. When he was on stream, he, he was caught cheating with an engine, uh, like streaming his own chess games on a on a prize money tournament on chess.com, which should, according to their terms and conditions, immediately result in a ban. Right. Uh, now, for some reason or another, they did not, force Hans to adhere to those terms and conditions. This happened either last year or two years ago. Uh, it happened when he was 16 and he's 19 now, so it was three years ago. Sure. But but he was a 16-year-old who sh- sh- showed great promise, so I think the idea was like, we're going to give you a chance here since you admitted what you're doing wrong. Anyway, when he said that that was the only time that he cheated after Magnus, uh, after he beat Magnus and Magnus withdrew from the tournament, uh, chess released chess.com released a statement saying that they believed Hans was lying about, uh, 
how often he had cheated on chess.com and that they had more internal evidence to suggest that he had perhaps been cheating more. Now, wow. I think that there is some legal fear of them releasing data that they say suggests cheating if they can't definitively... Like, chess.com has the best chess anti-cheating software in the game and they catch people all the time. Like, for me... I'll get an email every time somebody who cheated against me gets banned. And it's it's not all that uncommon. Now, I've never been banned because wow. I don't cheat. But they catch people because they have good detection methods. And it's not as easy to cheat as people think without getting caught. It's easy to cheat. But if you have advanced software that's monitoring games, it's not easy to evade detection. Sure. Uh, but... I don't think that they want to release it because it's not a deadlock saying this person is cheating. We're just saying based off of these supercomputers that we have that are made to analyze cheating, we have a 99.99999% certainty. But it's better for them, legally shielded speaking, to not say anything at all. Sure, that makes sense. Because it like they're less invested in resolving the situation between Magnus and Hans and more interested in maintaining profit, which I totally get. Yeah. Um, but also, if you see something, say something. It's the TSA's favorite line. <laughs> and if chess.com has something, they should find a way to release it. And they're, I think that's what they're trying to do by saying that they're launching an internal investigation of cheating on their site. We'll just see what comes out of it. Uh, this is still the predominant chess news and nothing has really, um, overtaken it, overtaken it. Like no tournaments have been that interesting, even though things are going on like, uh, chess.com's global chess championship event gauntlet, uh, is happening right now. And the U S championships are coming up soon and Hans is allowed to compete in them. Uh, Oh, Yes, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's gonna that could potentially blow up as a big controversy too. Yes, if he, if he wins, that could be controversial, and if he doesn't win, that could be. I mean, he he's in a no win situation regardless. Yeah, exactly. Because if he underperforms the level that he has been performing, then people will go, "That's proof that he's cheating because he decided to stop cheating and isn't as good." Or if he continues to maintain his level of play, they're going to go, this is continued proof that he's found a way to cheat. Yeah, but, he can't win. Right. And again, like, I, I've never lost sympathy for the young man, even if he is, like, like if he's cheating, that sucks, and he should stop playing chess. But, like, you can't prove it. And you're just, this guy, poor guy, I don't know. He, if he's If he's the only one who really knows whether or not he's cheating... And if he really isn't cheating, I can't imagine his life is any fun right now. No, I, I would agree with you. If he's not cheating, this has got to be just the worst ever. Yep. Anyway, so that is This Week in Chess. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, Mom, for listening to the podcast. And uh, we'll be back and listen to Ted Heineshevitz take us out with his song, you and I from his album It's Fine. Check it out on Spotify. Thank you.